Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you could have first heard this episode nine months ago if you were a subscriber to our Iron Filing Society Patreon offering. For the price of a pint and a St. Clements each month, you can get up to four episodes a week, nine months before the rest of the world gets them. Early access to regular episodes, lots of other marvellous benefits, and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that will get right on your ticks. Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash ironfilings. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, this is it. This is Top Flight Time Machine, I am Andy Hotbody Dawson, I'm Sam Nifty Delaney, so what? Once again we are delving into the history box and we're looking at the aftermath of the death of Princess Diana. We are not here to mock or make fun of the death itself and her tragic demise. We are here to look upon and reflect the reaction from the general public mm. and maybe the establishment. Because uh, it was a strange to, moment. That's all we're saying. It was, it was a strange moment in recent history. Strange is putting it mildly. <laughs> it was fucking bonkers. It was nuts. And uh, that's kind of been reflected in a couple of emails that we've had because we said, send us in your memories and anything of note that you did or experienced around the time. And this is an email from Paul. And he says, uh, thinking back to the Diana aftermath, I was 18 at the time. I remember my stepmom and her two daughters, my stepsisters, who were 18 and 23 at the time, getting the train one weekend from Middlesbrough to London to take some flowers and add them to the collection that had been left at St. James's or Buckingham Palace. Yeah, that's nice. They had to be part of the national outpouring of grief. Yeah. My overriding question at the time was simply, why? As in, why do this? Mm. He says, didn't get a satisfying answer. No. <laughs> he says, think you nailed it, though. It awoke in a lot of people an existential crisis, a sudden hyper-celebrity death at a young age. Quite right. There's, yeah, some, that's what there's, it was, there's, some, it? there's something else, though, that I think you can sort of compare to... Um, I, I recently spoke about the 7-7 terrorist attacks, and there's, obviously mm. there's other terrorist attacks as well. And like how my mate Greg wrote in his book that the British instinct is just to immediately down tools and head for the pub when there's something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. And I thought that was quite well observed. And I think that there is something about like the country, and I'm sure it's the same in other countries. I, I don't know, but I'm sure it is. It often feels like everyone's fucking at war with each other, right? There's so many mm. different sort of little kind of splits in society whether that's the football team it could be football team it could be politics it could be class it could be race it could be gender it could be what fucking band you like there's a million and one different fucking reasons that people get on each other's backs every day and and harbor sort of strange resentments and it's exhausting it's fucking exhausting and i think that when there's some sort of tragedy or disaster or, or dramatic moment that in some way affects all of us resonates all of us i think people embrace that because it's a sort of a relief from the grind 
of being in constant being conflict, conflict. low-level conflict. Yeah. And like you saw that a lot with COVID. I felt that, I, you know, weirdly, I got a wave of, for the first time, a wave last week of what I call COVID nostalgia. Because there was something like, you know, <laughs> the sun came out last week and it was quite spring-like. Yeah. And I was out running by the river and suddenly I got this sort of rush of nostalgia about two years ago in the strange atmosphere there was in those first few weeks of lockdown when mm. people were doing that, what's his name, the fitness guy, um, you know, the body coach. Joe, Joe, Joe Wicks, Wicks, yeah. But everyone was doing Joe Wicks and there was all the cliches about people baking bread and and suddenly like, you know, there was a lot of WhatsApp groups, like there was a WhatsApp group for my family, which of course now I'm fucking sick of, but at the time seemed quite nice, right? Yeah. And even my old schoolmates, and we hadn't sort of talked as a group in years, everyone spread out across the country and the world, and suddenly there's that going on. And we we actually started, do, that was when we started doing this podcast more regularly as well. And there was a lot of different things where suddenly a lot of the, the shit that, that divided people melted away because it was put into yeah. context. Now, it's much more real with COVID because it genuinely did affect, in a practical and very real sense, every single one of us. So I'm not comparing that to Diana because the strange thing about Diana is that there was no direct practical impact on any of us. But nevertheless, you know, in a sort, in an existential way, we, it, we all kind of reacted in, in a way. And it, I think that's why some people did think, I'm going to go and get involved in this because it's an mm. opportunity to feel that I'm involved in something that's bigger than me, bigger than the petty squabbles that I'm involved in. And it's an it's a opportunity for people to be together. Now, of course, I didn't fucking... I didn't get involved in it. But I did feel it, as I've admitted before, I did feel strange. I, do, I wasn't mm. like... I mean, I was, I was in my first job at the time. And I, and I was working on a magazine and I was work experience, right? And they put me, there wasn't enough desk space in the editorial department. So they found me a desk in the ad department, yeah, when I first worked there. So rather yeah. than work with the cool editorial people who I wanted to work with and learn from be part of, and yeah. be mates with and go to the pub yeah. with, they sat me with the suits, right? Who are like just who were like awful kind of Tories who were like just yeah. on the phone selling pages and doing deals and arranging lunches <laughs> on expenses, right? Yeah. And uh, they and I was sitting with them and they were fucking full of it because these were guys who were making tons of money in commission, right? And they were like full of it and they were in their snazzy suits and boasting about what restaurant they were taking their client out to lunch that day. And I thought, oh fucking hell, this is annoying. But I kept my head down and kept my mouth shut, right? And this was like my second week. Diana died, yeah? And I come in and I'm feeling a bit weird about it, as everyone is. There's a strange atmosphere descended upon the country. And as a, as a devout Republican, right, even more so then than I am now. Now I'm in, an indifferent Republican, right? But back then when I was still young and fiery and just out of education, I was, I was you know, there. on the one hand, I was like, you know, I wasn't fucking sobbing over it, but at the same time, I thought, oh, this is not very nice. Everyone's really sad. But these cunts, right, they were obviously, looking back, they were obviously fucking coke monsters as well, which is something I might not have picked up on the time. But they were yeah. like, they were like, it was like, it's, it was like Wolf of Wall Street, except these people were actually flogging ads in Men's Health magazine in the late, in the, in the <laughs> mid 90s, 1997, right? And, uh, but in their minds, that's, it was that's Wolf of Wall Street. powder. Yeah, exactly. Of- 
But it was magazine boom time, so any magazine was selling so many copies that you you could just fucking sell ads for like huge sums of money. Everyone wanted to advertise in, in in magazines in that time, so they were obviously fucking off their nut with hubris, right? Mm-hmm. And they fucking went on and on these two cunts, right? On and on and on about how funny they found her death. Now this is the day after oh. she's died oh. on the Sunday. I'm in on the Monday. And they couldn't, they were falling over themselves to demonstrate how much they didn't give a fuck. And in fact, how hilarious they found it, right? So I went from being, oh, this is, I'm, I don't really care about the royals. And I, I don't want to be the sort of guy who gets really upset about the death of someone I've never met. But at the same time, there is something really sad. But whatever, I'm kind of in the middle. I'll try and not think about it. To suddenly being quite pro-Diana and getting more into the sentimentality of it. Because these two cunts were like, Wah! Fucking hell. Oh, my God. I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. And I'm sat there with my head down, right? Because they're thinking, who's this little cunt they've stuck with us? I think they were a bit showing off as well. Again, Wolf of Wall Street style showing off to the young intern, you know, as if that was going to impress me. Oh, you lads are really cool. Can I come out to the pub with you? I don't want to be a journalist anymore. I want to be an ad sales guy. You guys are living out large, right? I want to be a stag. Like I want to be a stag. I want to sell. I don't want to write words. I want to sell ads, right? <laughs> and uh, I want to sell ads and not give a fuck about death. <laughs> I want to stare death in the face and laugh. <laughs> I want to be so rich that I don't care about the death of some children's mother in a I'm car gonna, crash. <laughs> I'm gonna live forever. Yeah, on it was ad really... sale money. But listen to this, right? So I, I've got these. This pair, I didn't say anything, but I've got this paired down as a, as a pair of cunts, right? Mm. And I actually chatted to the editor, who is who is my my mate, Phil. But at, at the time, I'd only just met him, and he said, "How are you getting on, sat there? Sorry, you have to sit up there." And I went, "Yeah, it's all right." And he said, "What are they like?" And I didn't know what the etiquette was. I didn't really understand at the time that in an editorial office, the editorial people always hate the ad people. Standard, right? Mm. Um, but I wasn't sure. I thought, "Oh, maybe they're all friends." And I went, oh, yeah, they're all right. He goes, what are those lads like that you're sitting with? And I went, um, well, they were they had quite a sort of loud reaction to the whole Diana thing that I found a little <laughs> bit. And he was like, yeah, yeah, don't. He sort of like more or less said, I don't know if he used his words, like, oh, yeah, don't worry. They're complete wankers. That's why I'm trying to get you out of there. Like, just take that <laughs> for granted. I know what, yeah. without being there, I know what they would have said. But one of them, the younger one, the older one was constantly making up sex lies. That was the other thing that I oh, remember. Gosh. The older one was constantly going, so he was a bit posher, right? And he was like, I was on the train home last night and he'd say commuted into London from like fucking Berkshire or something. He's like, train last night, happened again. And the younger one went, oh, what do you mean? And he went, happened a fucking again. I'm in my personal carriage in first class. Some dolly bird comes in. We get to talking. Next thing you know, we're in the toilet, Carsey. And I'm doing her from behind. <laughs> and you're like, and he's sort of, look, I could see him glancing over at me as if he's thinking, that young lad will probably believe this, right? But the funny thing was, the other, his colleague did believe it. He was like, you're incredible. I don't know how you do it. And even at that age, I was like, like, fuck you did, you cunt, yeah. right? Yeah. You absolute fucking lying cunt. Um, this is pathetic. 
and he did it every day and it was getting more and more annoying. The younger every one... Every day he was having it off on the train. Every day he had a different sex With life. A it was like woman. It was either... Wow. A, it, no, it wasn't always on the train. Sometimes it was like he'd taken a client out to lunch and they'd ended up going back to a hotel or some bullshit. Or wow. sometimes it was a historical sex lie, right? It was a, he was married... Right. I think you were going to say it was a historical setting. He got a national trust at the weekend. Yeah, he went to an old off. ruin of an abbey. Had it off. He went to a, a ruin of an abbey in Hampshire and, and had it off. It was, it was bloody cold, but I can tell you it was awe-inspiring. Where's, you could just feel the, the ghosts watching you. Where's that place that you went to that's got the hermit's retreat in it? <laughs> Remember that? What? He had it off in got- there. That place the you went to that's got the hermit's retreat, yeah. Yeah, yeah, hermitage. that actually would be a really good place to have a secret liaison. Oh, finger the bird in a hermitage. Yeah, what You'd did you do at the weekend, you? cunt? Go to the garden centre. Yeah, well, I fingered a bird in a fucking hermitage. <laughs> Beat that. <laughs> um, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, the hermitage could be a sexy spot, actually, if there's any sexy spot seekers out there. Yeah. <laughs> Call it all sexy spot seekers. <laughs> Free supplement in this week's Soar Away Sun. Britain's best <laughs> sexy spots to seek out this weekend. Number one, the Hermitage. <laughs> the Hermitage in Surrey. Uh, Just enough gu- room the, for a fingering. The younger one, right, one day, I can't remember, but this is how it all ended. The younger one comes back from a lunch, right, all pissed up and probably coked up for all I know. And he... He comes up behind me and I'm sat at my desk saying, oh, fuck, they're back from lunch again, the cunts, right? Yeah. I've had a little break thinking I've just had a bit of peace and quiet for a while. And he comes in off his tits, right? And he picks up, there was this huge sort of like, what I call a plank of polystyrene. It had obviously been packaging for a large package. So I want you to imagine, like, imagine a plank of wood, like, that's like four foot high and what half a foot across whatever kind of a bit like what you get wrapped around a new TV when it comes out of the box sort of thing he comes in and that's leaning obviously someone's had a package and that's leaning against the wall he picks up the plank of polystyrene he runs up behind me and he smacks the cunt clean round my head fucking hell bang and it snaps right so and did you didn't see this coming this was from behind it was it was a sucker punch so I, until that stage, look at this, I'm work experience. I'm a young man, right? Uh, I'm a skinny young man with long hair and I want to be a journalist. And he's probably got me down as like the sensitive type, mm. uh, which I can be. But I can also be a right fucking cunt, right? <laughs> if you have to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as I told him, as I told him, I've had loads of rows, right? Haven't always won them, but I'm fucking game. And I was in those days in particular, not so much now, right? (laughs) So I was fucking out of my seat, right? And I fucking grabbed the cunt. (laughs) And I went, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And then his mate came over, pulled me off. Then people from the editorial bit came over and like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And they were like, you know that kid who's on workers who sat in ads? He just fucking attacked one of the ad executives, right? And I'm going, you fucking cunts, like that. And everyone's fucking come around. I thought, I'm definitely getting the sack. So then there was an inquiry, but the office manager, who was a right gore-blimey old woman who worked there, right, who looked a little bit like... She was a bit... She looked like 
you know the landlady in Get Carter, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who get Car- Who John Get Carter has it off with, right? Yeah. <laughs> she looked like her. Can we call? But- can we call her Babs? Yeah, Babs the landlady, and but she was Cockney. She wasn't Geordie, and uh, she's like, right, what's all this? I fucking told her my side of the story, and thank God she went, yeah, that's really out of order. That is, they swept it under the carpet because they fucking mm. knew that that was from his point of view. So they couldn't sack me. It was a sackable exactly. offence. Anyway, so that was that, right? And it was fine after that. We made it up. I said, sorry. He said, sorry, whatever. But then years later, I was working on a different magazine, and we're talking like 15 years or something like that. Right. Maybe 10 years. And I'm like editor at large on another magazine, and there's some sort of do. And he, and he walks in and someone introduces me to him and he's very senior in the ads department. And they go, do you know him? I'm not going to say his name. And I go, I know the cunt. And he looks at me and goes, what? And I went, do you remember me, cunt? You smacked me round the head with a bit of polystyrene in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> he, to- he totally remembered. And he was like, oh, yeah, man, I'm really sorry about that. I was a right fucking nightmare in those days. And we had a laugh about it because we'd made it up at the time. But yeah. we had a right laugh. But it shocked the fucking shit out of him when I said it. Because he said that. Not because he thought I was going to beat him up. But I think he just thought look, we were in polite company and we were much more yeah, senior yeah. by that stage. And he was quite a senior, <laughs> serious person. And I've gone, he ran up behind me and smacked me around the Edmondson polystyrene in 1997. Just after Diana had died. <laughs> <laughs> fucking brilliant. So, um, oh man, jalapeño. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Jalapeño. So, yeah, uh, that is, that's a key memory of people's reaction, like the way that some people were falling over themselves at the same time as most people were like, this is sad. And some people were very extreme, like, I've got to go to London or bake a mm. cake or put a fucking teddy bear outside a palace, right? <laughs> Other people were like, oh, I'm going to, this is an opportunity for me to show how edgy I am. 
But I always think in situations like that, if in doubt, say now. Do you know what I mean? I think it was, I think all of that teddy bear and flowers thing was like a performative grief thing mm. where everybody felt, they, they'd seen other people do it and it just spread and spread like a virus. Mm. So it's like, have you been to the palace yet? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or have you signed the book of condolence that's in the local church or whatever? Yeah. Because that was all going on local. It wasn't all just happening down at Buckingham Palace. Right, and it was going like, on. You had to be seen. Yeah. You had to be seen to do something. Mm. And it was almost like a contagion. It's not that kind of thing where if a kid in a school class throws up, they all <laughs> they all do it for some reason. It's like mm. a noted thing where mm. they'll all fucking throw up because yeah. it's like a collective mania. And that's <laughs> what it was. You know, you can't, there's no point trying to analyse it too deeply. It was collective mania. Mm. We'd never had... What, what had been the most tragic death, shock death before that? I can't shock think of any death. other than jo- John Lennon. In 1980, it's got to be John Lennon. Yeah, it's got to be John Lennon. That's 1980. That's 17 years before. Mm. I can't. There probably is something else, but I can't think of anything. No, Lennon's got to be it. He's got to be it. The camp got shot, and he was like, people love John Lennon. I remember my mate, his mum saying once that was the worst day of her life, and I was quite a young kid. Not when he died, but like a few years Mm. later, someone said, "What was the worst day of your life?" And it was in front of me, and she went, "That's easy. The day John Lennon got shot." And mm. I, I remember that having quite a big impact on me that she said that. I thought, fuck it. I mean, I know the Beatles are popular, but whoa. I mean, I, I remember that. I remember that being on, we used to listen to Radio 1 every yeah. morning before I went to school. Oh, don't tell me before, DLT announced before, it. Before breakfast TV was on. I don't know who, who it would have been back then. I can't remember, but it was. You was just coming just, in. Whoops. <laughs> uh oh, Beatles fans. You're not going <laughs> to like this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play a track. And then straight after, stay tuned, because I've got some big news about one of the Beatles being shot dead. Here's Cliff Richard. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. But I, I, just, I distinctly... And it was one of those mornings where it was still dark when you were getting ready for school, because it was December the 8th or whatever it was. Mm. So it was you probably went to school in darkness. And I just remember the, the, how sombre it was on the radio. Yeah. And I'd never heard anything like that before. Because Radio 1 was like you've just done there. It was DLT mm. on Mike Reed or whatever, being quack, quack, oops and wacky and all that kind of thing. Or Noel Edmonds doing spoof phone calls and all that sort of thing. And it was just like, fucking hell, what's this? I mean, I didn't really know who John Lennon was. It was like, who is this cunt? Why is everyone talking about him? Yeah. Um, but I can't think of another one that would have been tragic and sudden and before its time. Mind you, we're recording, this. we're recording this on... Um What's the date? They sent for March, just a few mm. days after fucking Shane Warne died, which I'm not comparing to. That's will be the equivalent, but that is the equivalent for Australians. I think he was such an icon yeah. in Australia. I mean, he's an icon around the world, but in Australia, I, I would, yeah. I would say that is on the same level for them as John Lennon was for us. Possibly Diana. I don't know, but I mean, oh, I mean, they're talking about a state funeral for Shane Warne. Yeah, as, as we go to record this, so yeah, exactly. It is. It's huge for them. So that's yeah, that's that's their latest um, Diana. But I could think, I remember when Gordon Kay from Allo Allo got a piece of wood impaled mm, in his head. That was bad, wasn't dur- it? Dur- during the hurricane in '87, but he was just in a coma for a while. He didn't die, but so we, that wasn't. No, hang on, let's keep our powder dry on that because I'm pretty sure we've agreed to do an eight-part history box just on that incident uh, at a future well, I'm just, date. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just teasing it there, Sam. I'm just we, we're going to do it. Dropping like, a little teaser for it. It's the Gordon Kay. <laughs> a placard incident <laughs> of 1987 
and we're hoping to we're hoping to speak to Vicky Michelle about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be pretty big uh, for a few other reasons. Do as you know? Well. Um, um, you know, in the sexy waitresses in a lower life, just quick aside. Yeah. But there was Vicky Michelle. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. there was the other one who he was also having it off with, who I actually mm-hmm. thought was even fitter than Vicky Michelle. Sorry if that's sacrilegious, but I can't remember no, her name. No, I think you're right. She, she called Francesca something. Mm. Now, in some episodes, the- right, there was a third waitress who was very small and she had the, blonde. The blonde one. Yes. Now, yeah. do you remember her character name? I do, but I just want to ask you. Don't look it up. Uh, was it? Wasn't Mimi LeBonk or something? Correct. Was it? Was it was Mimi LeBonk. <laughs> Little round of applause there. I don't often give Two applauses points. on this podcast, but it was Mimi LeBonk, which is, to my mind, one of the greatest subtle. ever character names. And um, Very subtle. the reason I remember it is that there was this really hapless French, uh, what do you call the teacher when it's not your teacher, your teacher's ill? A supply, supply teacher. There was a French supply teacher who came in to teach us French throughout the five years at school, and she was hapless. Like, every time she came in, it was like a special episode of a sitcom where, like, you know yeah. in, like, um, Friday Night Dinner, when the old man who's the grandma's... <laughs> I think he's called Mr. Something. He's like, right, cunt. But you know, yeah. like, certain characters, like Finchie in The Office, just come in and out, and when they do think, It'll oh, special episode, <laughs> this is going to be really funny... Yeah. That was that was this French supply teacher, and on her first ever day, I, I, sad the lady, the class clown, late named her Mimi Lebonk, and it stuck oh. and it spread forever. And she was just known as oh, Mimi no. Lebonk, and in the end, she was so hapless, she just fucking accepted it, right? <laughs> but anyway, you just put me in mind of that by mentioning Vicky Michelle. Mimi Lebonk is one of the great ever fictitious names, isn't it? Yeah, and the other one you're talking about was called Maria. She was in the first three series, and then Mimi, Mimi LeBong took over. Mimi LeBong had was, a great um, name, but she was so, no Maria in the looks department, in oh my God, opinion. Uh, no, but Maria was the everyone's best. Everyone's got different taste. And she, she was played by Francesca Gonshaw. What's, um, what's she up to now? I'm just having a look. Um, after her acting career, she went on to work for Miramax Books and then became curator of an art gallery. Oh, very sexy. Curator of an art gallery is a classic sexy job, isn't it? <laughs> very sexy job. Unlikely sexy jobs as a category for you. Uh, but that's a likely one, to be fair. Do you think, I don't, know, I don't know how many of us come across curators of art galleries on a day-to-day basis. No, we basis. don't come across them, but when you picture one in your head, she's always sexy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, Francesca Godshaw. We'll, um, we'll take her as a human of honour. Yeah. <laughs> Meet up with her. She's, uh, how old is she? 62. Whoa. Um, <laughs> Perfect. She might be a widow by now, of any luck, mate. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there's another email that came in. Yeah. We're going to talk about Diana Aftermath. Uh, where is it? Yeah, this is from Peter, who's an IFS Glasgow cunter. Uh, he says, a guy I worked with at the time told me about one of his mate's reaction to the death Around about the same time, a week or so before, it had been reported that Celtic player Darren Jackson had had Mm. a life-threatening brain condition and needed surgery. I remember that, yeah. And it says, this guy's mate would have only been about 22, 23 at the time, still lived at home. On the morning Diana died, he got in about three or four in the morning, pished, as many of us did that night, Mm. because it was done on the uh, follow-up to a Saturday night, wasn't it? Yeah. Early hours Sunday morning. He came in three or four in the morning, got to bed, only to be walking in the morning by his mum, shaking him. Shouting, guess who's dead? 
That's a lovely way to wake someone up. Wake up. You're probably still pissed, but wake up. Guess who's dead? He woke up, sat bolt upright and shouted, Darren Jackson! (laughs) (laughs) And his mum replied, no, Princess Diana! He says the cunt just rolled over and went back to sleep again. Didn't give a fuck. Mm. Darren Jackson. Not Darren Jackson. Anyone but Darren Jackson. Diana? Yeah, fine, whatever. Talking about being woken up in an unceremonious way. You know, I went away walking this weekend, right, to the bit of peace and quiet, classic demon reset, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I'm going on Thursday, I'm going to Seville to watch West Ham play in the Europa League, right? And I'm going with, you know, one of my West Ham mates, my oldest mate, and he... And I told him specifically on Friday, because he's a, uh, what would you call it? He, I don't know if you've got anyone like this in your life, but he's a frantic messenger. Messenger. He's the sort of guy who will send you a frantic flurry of messages about anything and nothing in a mad blitz. <laughs> and the more you don't reply, the more he sends. Almost like it's a blitzkrieg, right? Because he needs a response. It's yeah. a bli- he, he blitzkriegs you. I don't think he singles right. me out. I'm assuming he does it to like, everyone he knows. Like right. I haven't got anyone like that. I haven't got anyone like that, thankfully. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you would be... I'd be interested to see how you would react because, like, I... my Some people say to me, you've got to stop being annoyed with people doing things like that and just start politely drawing boundaries and saying, please don't send me 50 texts at a time. It's a bit stressful whereas yeah. instead what I do is sort of ignore them and then quietly get irritated but it's the sort of shit that would I, I would in a, as a social experiment I'd be interested to see like Andy Dawson's reaction to being text blitzkrieged <laughs> especially the nature of them because a lot of them are like pointless they're just conversation yeah. starters right I, I think you'd be like probably the most dangerous person to blitzkrieg in that way in Britain mm. but anyway it's never happened I don't know, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, I know what, what I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah, I hope he does it to Andy because then he'll never do it again. <laughs> Andy will become so en- enraged by that if he's watching the darts and he gets like 14 <laughs> texts about, I don't know, nonsense. <laughs> anyway, because we're going to Seville, he won't stop calling and texting me because he's like one of these um, early planners. Like, you know, I'm a bit of a fucking dickhead. If I'm going away, I don't think about it until like literally the day I'm on my way. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I wake God, up. Jesus, in the, no. I know, it's, uh, that, no. which is also annoying. I'm not bragging about it. It's a very annoying thing to live with, right? As as the king of logistics, my blood just I ran know. cold there. I know, I know. That. But you're, listen, you're king of logistics, but you are not fucking, you know, I've been the beneficiary of your logistics now for a number of years. And when we're planning something, you're not fucking anal and uptight. You just get it done. This is like a million <laughs> and one questions a fucking moment. So I've told oh, him man. on the Friday, I'm going away for a weekend in the country. I'm barely going to be checking my phone I'm just going to be walking and chilling so I didn't go as far as say so don't fucking contact me but I thought that would be enough and he went oh that's nice it's implicit isn't it yeah yeah. it meant nothing to him so throughout the weekend there was like loads of messages about the tiny minutiae of our trip to Seville like I'm talking about the walking distance between the fucking hotel and the stadium and shit like that right and so obviously I'm ignoring it Um, I wasn't looking at my phone most of the time and uh, but it's annoying when you're out in the middle of nowhere thinking, oh, isn't this lovely? I can see no roads. I, all I can hear is birds on. It's amazing. And then you get a text. There's vibration going off in your pocket every yeah. nine seconds. <laughs> what do you think you're going to have for breakfast in the hotel? I attached the menu. <laughs> As you want your eggs. <laughs> yeah. What do Spaniards eat for breakfast, do you reckon? Pudding, probably. Because <laughs> so, they go to bed so late. Yeah. 
it is true though when you're abroad we were talking about that how when you're abroad like you're never you never cease to be amazed by the weird shit that foreigners eat for breakfast yeah like everyone always yeah. talks about the germans with their cold meats and cheeses yeah but mm. i always mm. think it's the it's the mediterraneans you got to look out for i said i wouldn't be asked surprised if you turned up in spain and they served you up some apple crumble and custard for breakfast and when oh, you had surprised, yeah. they sort of shrugged and said, oh, well, it's a Catalonian classic for breakfast. You have, Yeah. But they, they'd call it something sexier than apple crumble and custard, wouldn't they? And then they go off into the back and giggle because they've made fucking Mr. English have an a, apple crumble again. Eat a big pudding and then fall straight asleep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I fucking need a big kip after that. <laughs> anyway, d- listen to what he did. He's, he's been going on the whole of Saturday... Sunday, I've mm. gone to bed after my long fucking hike. Obviously, I need a big, long sleep. Do you know what time the cunt called me? 6.38am. Oh, Fuck. Now, Is thank this a God, call or a text? It was a call. And Shit. thank God I had the phone set to silent. But when I did yeah. wake up, I saw a, a flurry of texts, which had been preceded by a call. Important. And I eventually got up and said, I've just woken up, you know, I'm in the countryside. Can I talk to you about this later when I'm at home and not not on a little, like, countryside break? Question is, well, what do I do, Andy? This is like a life logistics. I've got to say something to him, haven't I? You kind of have, yeah. I think so. I mean, Sunday morning. It's it's bothering you, isn't it? It's bothering me. It's, yeah, it's, you, it's a boundaries screen, issue, mate. You, you've got, you get a screen grab of your original text where you said you were going away for the weekend. I told him verbally over the phone. Right. I was going to say, there, there that's your... Mm. You need to have things in writing sometimes. Paper trail. You need to send I need him, a paper yeah, trail. Yeah, 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 yeah. You need to send him that and say, look, this is what I said. You didn't listen to that. You didn't take any notice of it. And I'm, I'm not happy because it, it put a blight on my weekend. Yeah. Didn't ruin it. It did well, ruin it because the phone was it. on silent, but it's the principle, isn't it? Yeah. I need you to be more aware of things that I say and things that I want you to do. <laughs> things but, I yeah. want you to do. Here is a list of things I want you to do. Here's a list of things I don't want you to do. Yeah, that's more like it. Having said that, I'm very much looking forward to our apple crumble on fucking Saturday morning or whatever it is oh. in Seville. Right. It'll be mate. oranges. There'll be well, tinned oranges and, and, and uh, condensed yeah. milk. Oh, all sorts. <laughs> I mean, if you're at a breakfast buffet in a foreign hotel, you always... I mean, I'm, well, if I'm with my good wife, I'm always, like, identify the Germans. I'm not being yeah. Stan Borgman here. I love Germans. But I'm just going, identify the Germans, keep a close eye on their breakfast choices, right? Yeah, totally. I, I've The last few days, right, I've had proper pangs of nostalgia for uh, for all-inclusive holidays that I've been on mm. with the kids. Because about three years ago, four years ago now, they decided they didn't want to share a room, all of us together. So we've had to find self, self-accommodation. self Yeah. Self-catering, sorry. Um, which means no all-inclusive. Right. And I'm really missing that sight of going into the all-inclusive dining hall and seeing everything, all of the breakfast choices. You want to have all of it. You know you oh, can't. It's incredible. And it's like, oh, God, I might just go on an all-inclusive just myself. Imagine just that. I've seen that people again. do that. I've been at a Club Med and I've seen, so it's usually some sort of yeah. super confident, quite glamorous, older French woman. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like She's like maybe in her 70s and she's just like, fuck, yeah. fuck this, I'm going to Club Med. I deserve it. 
and I she'll could, be really I friendly. Sometimes she'll sit, that. she'll sit with you and go, oh, "Hello, how, yeah. how are you doing?" You know. I might, I might do that. I might go to the place in Salute where I went with the kids a couple of times, and the food was brilliant and yeah. a lovely pool. Well, I'll I go there. It's, so it's a fucking marvelous thing to do. Yeah, uh, you've earned fed. it. You've earned it. You deserve days. it. Yeah. Why I'm should you have to go away and cook your own food? Fuck that. Yeah. And it won't even be when the kids are off school, so it'll be cheaper. So it'll be cheaper. Exactly, mate. It's a, this is a it. no-brainer. Anyway. Um, there's a, there was another <clears throat> email, but may, I can't find it, so maybe it's um, maybe this is well, a... Well, I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll wrap it up there because oh, okay. we've... we've, we've um, yeah, we've, we've gone over our... Um, a lot of time. Mm. A lot of time that we, we, we have. Um, so we'll do more next week because there's plenty more on the Wikipedia page for the public reaction to the death of Diana. But yeah, I'm sure there was another example of a foreigner nicking some of the memorabilia. I've just found the story and I am, you're going to have to literally shut this down because I've just found it and I'm so bursting to read one line from it that it, once I start, it'll be really hard well, to stop. Can, can you read one line as a teaser? Maybe. I will read one line out of context from this story about right. Diana. And then we'll end the episode. The the prosecutor in the case, Nazir Afsal, said the woman's actions were, in quotes, not far from the offence of grave robbing. That's all I'm saying. Find out more in next week's episode. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.